Hey, listeners, thanks for signing on, checking out the podcast. This is episode 10 is about to befall you. I can't believe we've hit 10 episodes of this podcast, and it's going to keep coming on, keep coming on. For those that don't know who the hell is Coach Fury, I am a personal trainer and fitness educator located in Brooklyn, New York. I do online and personal training. I program classes, and then I also teach for several organizations, the RKC, original strength, strength faction, and then DVRT ultimate sandbag training, which we're going to talk a lot about today. Um, If you visit coachfury.com, if you're interested in training, I have information on both personal and online training there. I also have a bunch of upcoming workshops. Now, it sounds crazy to say this, but I'm done with my workshops in the United States this year. I'm heading out to Japan in December, but when I come back, I'm going to be in Marietta, Georgia, teaching an RKC with the awesome senior RKC, Beth Andrews. That's uh, January 26th through the 28th. I have original strength at Crunch 59th Street on February 11th. I have a a uh, HKC one day kettlebell cert coming to MFF Bowery on March 18th and an RKC two coming to catalyst our second annual RKC two May 5th through the 6th. Now you don't have to remember that stuff. Visit coachfury.com. Go to the courses page. It'll be there. If you want to host a course, it'll be there. Also a reminder, my wife and her friends have a art show coming up, biting back art for a good pause. It's a three day gallery at the a bar in Greenpoint, which is a killer bar. Um, The co-owners are from Three Kings Tattoos. And we're going to have up to 40 artists doing sort of animal-themed art. And all the proceeds from the art and the raffle are going to go to a local animal shelter, Animal Haven, which is where Kim and I got our lovely pity mix Ramona flowers. So that is December 1st through the 3rd. The raffle night is happening on December 1st. And for better or worse, I'm I'm seeing that thing. So if anything, come and come for that train wreck. For more information on that, visit bitingbacknyc.com. Now, that's enough of the spiel. I want to talk to you about my next guest. He is uh, essentially a brother to me. He is sort of my voice of reason whenever I'm like stressing out about something or need a an educated other perspective other than what I might be thinking about. He's also a cat that I've taught along with. We've assisted each other more than anybody else in the world. It is fellow DVRT master instructor and owner of the Mighty Quest Fitness in Guilford, Connecticut. My brother from another, another bald guy with facial hair, James Newman. James, say hi to the group. Hello, group. It's uh, such an honor to be here. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me on. I, I got to say, it's a special honor to, to make that top 10 list. You got a lot of awesome people that have been on before that I've been listening to. And just to crack that top 10 list is, is quite an honor. So now, number, now, number 11 is going to feel like shit. <laughs> it <made> that way. <laughs> no, folks, I purposely try to space these things out to get some, some, some voices you may have heard of before and some voices you may not have heard much before. James is somebody that in the Ultimate Sandbag Training community in particular, he's been a master instructor from the beginning of that program and has just consistently been a voice for that in terms of content and helping out and teaching courses um, and that's where we met was actually at one of our leadership meetings, right? What was that? The, the, it was your second one. It was my first. Yeah. Second master instructors, uh, summit ever. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you tell them what was the fun event of that one? So that was the event where they decided over the summer before we had the, uh, the, um, summit that we were going to start to institute the strength test, the clean and press test for, for DVRT ultimate sandbag which at the time consisted of, for us, uh, 50 clean and presses with an 80-pound uh, ultimate sandbag in five minutes. Um, and that was uh, quite an event. Um, 
I remember when they first brought it up, everybody, all of us sort of rolled our eyes and were bitching and moaning about it the entire time. Um, and strangely enough, it's, it's where you and I really sort of bonded because I was the guy who counted your reps and watched you crash and burn. And then you counted, <laughs> then you, you counted my reps and watched me crash and burn. Uh, but the, the coolest part about it was the next day you came back and you decided that uh, you had figured it out, that you wanted to do it again. And uh, we stepped outside away from the group and, and you did it again. And, and right then and there, you sort of created the program that has allowed, I think, probably the majority of people who have passed the clean and press test to make it through that test, which is just a bear. Um, and that was an amazing thing for me to witness and to be part of. And I think, you know, from that moment on, we were, we were tight like brothers, right? Yeah, I mean, it really was. Um, folks, in DVRT Ultimate Sandbag Training, it was one of those courses that, you know, somebody either guided you there um, or you sort of randomly heard about it and thought, thought it was a very cool idea but didn't know much about it. This is going back now seven years. Yeah. And they instituted, Josh came up with the idea of a strength test similar to like the RKC so that people could actually train and get their hands on the Ultimate Sandbag and get some sort of a baseline of what the system is so that you're not overwhelmed either physically or mentally when you come into the course, because it is a very physical course. And the test, you know, we were the guinea pigs for that. And coming from, a, a, you know, a kettlebell at that time, RKC and SFG background, I was used to strength tests. So for me, I think I was pretty vocal that I thought the test was very hard, especially at 50 reps, but I was also very vocal on how I was training for it. And I thought I was going to land in Scottsdale, Arizona and crush it in front of everybody. And I did like my second worst performance, but oddly enough, um, it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to recover from that day. Like it took me about an hour and a half before my system sort of regulated back to normal. But in that time, and, and when I teach these courses, whether they're DVRTs or RKCs and people are stressing about these strength tests, sometimes you really got to fail one of these things really bad to figure out how to do it really good. And that's where my, my program came out that helped for it. So like literally as I was still sucking wind and had a sore throat and was coughing, I figured out what I did wrong and I didn't breathe and I didn't time it right. And I was going to try it later that day. And I think it was Josh Hankin was like, that's either very stupid or very brave. <laughs> and then just that day went long. So we tried it the next morning and I got many more reps and had actually exceeded the reps that are now the standard. We did decide that 50 reps at that weight bag was, was kind of ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's, there's just not a lot of time for it. Um, but in that process, James and I uh, just connected on a lot of stuff. I think there's definitely the East coast vibe coming off of both of us. Um, and then certainly, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, is we're both super comic book nerds. So there was, there was certainly that. And I think also just like um, pretty chill demeanors in terms of being in like that this environment. Because um, right. like uh, any sort of leadership meeting is kind of a weird thing where you have people that might have been there the year before. You have new people coming in like myself. And it's sort of weird to try to navigate um, – other people's friendships and personalities, like I knew basically the only people going in I knew were Gavin Van Vlack, who introduced me to him. And I've, I met Larry Betts because he was at my cert. Um, I met Jessica and certainly Josh. Uh, and then a couple of the cats from Facebook. Oh, and I knew Drew and Jordan from, from a kettlebell world. Yeah. Uh, and then so you have all these sort of like personalities and politics and, and, and everyone's just trying to find where, where we all fit together. And it's been really cool at later summits, like how we've actually found that. Like it, it's, it's a much chiller experience, I think, than that first, for, I guess the second one for me, my first one um, was. Well, not, that it, not that it was a bad experience, but I think you and I were able to kind of like find that sort of like comfortable space, comfortable space of handling it all. 
Right, right. Well, I think, you know, that, that type of feeling where you're going, you're feeling so sort of out of sorts, you don't know who knows what or what their background is, is, is pretty typical of any certification that you go to, right? And here we are doing it at a larger level. I mean, the year before, there had been, I think, 12 of us. And now all of a sudden, there were about 20 of us. So yeah. we sort of had to get to know each other and to trust each other. And I think that was a tough, uh, a tough thing for a lot of us to do. But um, I think you and I pretty much pretty quickly uh, learned that we could trust each other. Uh, and that's, I think that's fallen through with our friendship over the years. It's been, it's been a great experience. You know, it was also as interesting because we sort of came at it from different perspectives. You know, you had mentioned before that you came from that strength perspective where you had always had to pass a physical standard. Um, you know, I'd been in the fitness industry for 20 years and I'd never had to go through a, a fitness test to sort of, you know, yeah. prove that I could program and go through those things. So it was, it was fascinating for me to, to speak with you and connect with you on that level um, and to sort of dig into your head a little bit and watch that programming happen live. It was, uh, it was pretty amazing. It really changed uh, a lot of the things and a lot of the ways that I look at fitness. So thank you for that. You know? uh, well, thank you. There was definitely an error at the time that some of the team were very much like, why are we, we shouldn't have a strength test. And, right. And there was definitely a view of me as the it, which is kind of like weird. It was like I was the kettlebell guy because I'd already been doing a lot of assisting work on that. And I just had more options, more, more op opportunities to do that. But it was also like I've been using ultimate sandbags basically almost exactly as long as I've been using kettlebells. So in some ways I had just as much or, or more experience than some with the ultimate sandbag. But I came in with more of an awareness as being the kettlebell person. And so it became this kettlebell guy uh, versus like sort of like the TRXy world. And it was really interesting back then. And it, it feels weird to say back then, but it was like about six years ago now that there was a little bit of a weird fracturing between like if you were a Boyle person or Cressy person, I don't mean like a member of the staff, I mean influenced, uh, TRX right. influence versus like hard style kettlebell influence versus maybe a uh, Ripito influence. And I think now kettlebells and uh, the, the technique of hard style for whatever group you've talked about, it has basically become the baseline for all of these groups to teach kettlebells from. Right. So the, those hard lines that were had back then, which I never really saw because I, I used a TRX, I used everything and I still continue to do. Um, was sort of more like, I think like a business run ego in a way, like I run my business this way because this is how I came up. So that's not potentially as cool as what I do. And I think now we just realize like there's space for all of it. And then, right. you know, if you watch Josh, he uses kettlebells, TRX, bands, like ultimate sandbags, like the whole thing. And I think we all need to be able to like wrap our heads around that and to be versed as coaches. So like we can teach for DVRT, but we certainly have an awareness of other things outside of DVRT. But then it was very much like, it seemed like very fractured in a little bit of that aspect of training, not so much that it hit us as our personalities, but our aspects of training. And it's, I think that's really gone away in a lot of, in a lot of ways in a great way, not just in right. our team, I think in fitness overall. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I think in some ways DVRT is responsible for a lot, for a lot of that. Um, you know, I can go way, way back when, I mean, I started training, Oh, geez, uh, back in 1995, I got my first certification and you know, it was an app certification. And, you know, when you walk through a gym or depending on how you were training, you, you knew there were sections of the gym. You know, like there was the power lifter station, there was the bodybuilder station, and there was, you know, the girls in the aerobics room doing their thing and never the twain met, you know, and you had your thing. And then there were the guys who were doing the martial arts workouts and, and that was it. Um, 
over the years, you sort of watch this evolution where you know everybody's starting to sort of come to the same conclusions, right? You've seen FMS come up and everybody's talking about the X patterns and the way the body's connecting. And I think, you know, when you take that strength and conditioning world and you take the endurance world um, and, and these things, you just start to bring them together. It's like DVRT is one of the few systems that sort of takes all those things into account, you know, taking also, you know, there was this, there's this time, you know, right after bodybuilding sort of disappeared where functional training became the buzzword, right? And it was hard to define, right? And it had a lot of value. I mean, we sort of poo-poo it now, but back in the day, I can tell you as a trainer who was working in a gym at the time that when you started adapting functional training, I mean, I was, I was at one of the first stability ball courses, if you can imagine that. Oh, wow. I was at one of those first ones. Um, and that was just a different way of looking. We were started to train movements and instabilities. And, you know, it was all about the core and getting the core activated and get that reflexive stabilization going. Um, and now we sort of poo-poo on it. Even in a DVRT class, we sort of laugh at, you know, all the balance boards and the stuff that we were doing. But at the time, that made you so much more marketable. It gave you another way to sort of train people other than getting on a machine or picking up a barbell. So, you know, I was one of those people that are an early adopter. I was like, Hey, this is, this is great stuff. And all of a sudden I had a ton of clients because now I could train people with bands and I can train people, you know, to activate their cores and get their stabilizers going. You know, of course I'm, I'm happy that there were no video phones there. There were no cell phones at the time. So people couldn't take pictures of me you know, doing squats on top of balls and stuff like that with clients. Um, but, it, you know, DVRT seemed to be the, the thing that brought all these things together, at least in my mind, right? Uh, a lot of, you know, it was tough to sort of get that whole idea of, you know, functional training and combine it with the strength training. Um, and for me, that was a leap. You know, it, it was a way that sort of you saw the evolution of training. I think that's, you know, we talk about the revolution, the evolution of fitness with DVRT. And I, I think it really was a, a moment where, you know, you could see all these different uh, disciplines coming together. It's, it's funny that we still see aspects of that still. Like we, I think we found through that phase, I think we found some useful exercises. I just think it's the extremes. And I think overall we see a lot less of them, like the standing on the, on the balls or the BOSUs. Right. But there is sort of an, an odd baseline of trainer education where that still happens. And I come from a school of thought that if you could tell me why you're doing it, and it actually adds a benefit that also is higher than the risk, right? The benefit has to be higher than the risk with right. any of that stuff. Then, all right. But like I was training somebody in a, a very exp- expensive building, and they have a very fancy gym. And one of the trainers had like you know a couple in their probably mid late fifties. Each one was standing on a Bosu ball, holding a bag, trying to basically pull each other forward and back off of it. I'm like. What are we really trying to do here? Uh, and then the other side of this is so when, you know, I went through my first DVRT course, it was called Lift at the Time in 2010. And in 2009, there's that study, I'm forgetting the university that did it offhand, where they basically scientifically proven that standing on an unstable surface doesn't improve your training response versus altering your body position, the implement position, and having unstable implement, which is the ultimate sandbag. Now, this was very new in counter-arguing this still remaining pistol squats on Bosu, Bosu balls or back squats on Bosu balls stuff. I apologize. My dog's barking at the door right now. Um, <laughs> but that study now is like literally almost 10 years old and or eight, eight years old. And we still see aspects of it. 
But again, like I think there's some stability ball exercises, you know, that I think are still valid. I think there's some stuff with bands that have been picked up that valid. It's we always it's so easy to take things to extremes, right? Because we're always trying to find like the far bleeding edge of an implement and the cool factor with the implement and the flashing, you know, shiny object type of deal right. versus like actually having a training system about it. Uh, right. The other side note I need to make on this while you're telling me about being like 95 and doing that, I'm imagining you with a mullet, leg warmers, <laughs> and like those high hip thong things. Is that weird? <laughs> <laughs> no man there was a time there's a lot of lycra going on you know what I'm saying? <laughs> a lot of spandex uh, <laughs> that was the time listen i you know i started off as an endurance athlete right on a on a bike you know i was i was doing in-home trainings where i would show up at someone's house with a an extra bike and i'd say hey, listen let's get on that bike let's go for a ride um and then we'd go right and that's that's how it started but yeah there was it was a different time so we just, James and I were talking, I actually learned something new before we started on this. So I've known James has had some struggles in building his uh, current facility quest fitness out in Guilford. And it's a really uh, great facility. And I don't say that because he's on the podcast or that he's my buddy. Uh, when you get to travel to a lot of gyms, sometimes you just walk into a facility that you get a good vibe out of. Like there's just like an energy that you're like, this is a place to like try things, have fun. There's different things. There's some of them are like, this is the place to lift heavy shit. Uh, and James has this great place where it's like, this is a good place to move, to have fun and move. Like just the atmosphere of it with nobody in it. Uh, it's a really weird thing, but I think most of us can walk into a facility and, and get a read on it. And then you can also go into one where like, it's just sterile and there's no, and I don't mean just by clean. There's just like, well, it's, it, it's got the thing. There's the dumbbell rack by the window and, or the mirrors. And, you know, they have the pieces. There's the kettlebells over there, but it just doesn't inspire. Um, I think your gym's one of them for me. Um, well, thank you. Dusty Rip, Dustin Ripito's place out in, in Guthrie um, is, an, is an amazing one where you go in it and you're just like, you just want to try stuff. Right. right? Um, but I, what I didn't know is I knew you'd gone through at least one other facility leading into that. But, like, tell us the journey from starting uh, in, in not a three-hour window, but, <laughs> like, the, the sort of steps it went from your first facility into ending up where you are now. You, wow. It's a, it's a long story. And usually this happens over many beers and a couple of shots of tequila. But, um, like I said, I, I started training in, uh, back in 95. Um, and that was because I had, uh, I'd gotten out of college in 88 and I'd spent some time climbing the corporate ladder and trying to do that and became completely miserable. Um, I ended up uh, married and, uh, soon after left my job in, in uh, corporate world and ended up in art school. Cause, uh, at one time I wanted to become a comic book artist, which is where my comic book nerd comes from. Um, and at a certain point, my, uh, my, my marriage ended and my life sort of blew up. And I decided that I was going to go on a cross country journey. Uh, and I got on a bicycle with a buddy of mine and we went cross country. And that was my really my first foray into just like hardcore training where we just trained all the time and, and we just pushed the limit physically. Uh, and when I came back, I was like, you know what, this is what I want to do. I want to spend my time, you know, sort of, I had gone through this journey. I want to help people along on their journey. Um, and so I opened one of those, one of the first boutique gyms back in 95, the first version of Quest Fitness in my hometown, which is Armonk, uh, New York, back in, in Westchester County. Um, we were there for six years uh, and we did gangbusters. We were, we had, you know, six, seven trainers working in a 1500 square foot place. I was making bank 
doing great. I mean, we were basically, if we could, we would knock down walls so we could fit more people in at the time. I had a great crew of people working for me. And out of nowhere, the, uh, the building that I was in got sold. Um, and these guys came in and they bought it and they wanted me out. Um, and I had a lease. I was like, I'm not going anywhere. Um, and in the middle of the winter, they turned off the heat in the building on me. So we trained in the middle of winter in like zero degree weather. Of course, our clients were fine. We had little heaters going for them, but our trainers were freezing. Um, and then it was an especially bad winter. And we came in one day and every pipe in the, uh, in the building had burst. Uh, and water was pouring through the ceiling. Uh, and we were basically done at that point. Uh, so push comes to shoves, we ended up in court for like two years, you know, fighting to sort of get reparations for this. Um, and, you know, I, I, I say that as sort of a cautionary tale because, you know, if I had known more about it at the time, uh, I probably would have protected myself a lot better. But I sort of jumped in with both feet, had a great thing going and, and didn't see foresee what could possibly go wrong. Um, P.S., you know, two years later, we did get finally get our settlement. But, you know, listen, when you go to court, you know, no one wins. You know, we yeah. had basically moved on at that point. Um, so I had, you know, I started coaching, doing other things. Um, but it was, it was sad for me to have that family to put that together and then lose that. Um, it really, it, 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 it was a hard thing to get over, uh, just because, you know, the feeling like, Hey, listen, I had fucked up. I hadn't seen it, you know, I hadn't seen it come and I didn't do enough to sort of protect that. Um, and you know, I sort of had to sort of reinvent myself again and, and ended up working at different places. I worked for a big chain gym. I've done everything from general managing, you know, fitness director, um, until finally I, I ended up hooking up with a, with a mother-daughter team in Stanford where my wife and I were living at the time and worked for them for a while, Helped launch a couple different programs with them, we're, was doing great down there. When we had my son, we decided to move north up into Guilford where we are now with the idea that we would open a gym again. That's what I was going to do. I mean, I'm, I'm a fitness lifer. You know, I've been doing this for yeah. as long as I can remember. Um, I am a coach through and through. I don't think I could ever do anything else. It's part of my DNA. Um, so, you know, we, we started looking for places up here. Financially didn't have the money to do it. So, I, you know, I went back and approached the people that I had, the mother-daughter team that I had uh, been working with before. Um, and they were looking to expand. They were opening different locations. And they said, hey, listen, we'll open the location by you. You can manage it. And, uh, and that'll be it. And I, another one of our DVRT master instructors, uh, Eric Hansen, who had actually trained to replace me down at the gym in Stanford, was also planning on moving up this way with his wife. So, you know, our plan was, let's manage this place for a little while. Let's get the, uh, the facility running for this woman and then we'll buy her out in a couple of years. Well, we got it up and running. We built the business. It was great. We had created an amazing community. Um, and we were doing the best we could. We were running off of this, this person's systems to sort of get everything going. We were doing all the coaching, all the training, all the programming. And then sort of out of the blue one day, we get a phone call saying, hey, listen, you got to buy me out. I was like, all right, well, that was the plan. How long do I have? And they said, you have a month. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's a holy shit moment. Right now, we got to scramble to sort of figure out, hey, listen, is this something we're going to do? Or, you know, do we have to sort of walk away from at this point? Um, we managed to sort of figure out a way to get it done. Um, and it was it was hell. Um, but we put it together. You know, at that point, we had sort of developed this this community, this this fit family that we talk about. And there's no way I was going to let it go. 
you know, and even though it was sort of like, you know, I backed into it backwards and wasn't really ready for it, you know, uh, mentally, you know, the business plan wasn't there. I was, you know, I was running someone else's shop and all of a sudden it just got dumped in my lap, but we made it happen. Uh, and from then on, it, it's been sort of an amazing journey. Um, and I, I would never look back. It was, it was a huge move. Um, and it took a lot out of us, you know, both my wife and myself and, uh, and even the community, but they were so supportive of us and really rallied around us. And it was, it, it's turned in such an amazing place for us. We have a really an amazing group of people that, uh, that come to quest and I, you know, I couldn't be happier with it. And this is the location you're currently in still. Yeah. This is the location we're in oh, now. Wow. Yeah. Just it in my head, I think I thought that was a different location. No, no, no. What, what that brings up is if you've listened to the podcast and, and some of you will have by now, I hope you will have by now. And just in talking with friends that are fellow owners and stuff, it, it's on one way, it's a mixed blessing that I don't own. It's something that I always thought I was going to do. But if you're a member of a gym or you're thinking about opening, um, for every success story, you're, there's, there's like all of these like sort of really big ass hurdles that the men and women that open shops do. And it seems like it's very rare that someone just opens doors and it's perfect, right? And I think there's this image or beautiful idealized thought that like, I'm going to leave my big box gym. I'm going to be able to open this studio. We'll build an audience within this many months. And then like, it'll be solid. Ramona's barking again. <laughs> and it's these struggles, these big ones, like potentially you know, closing doors or closing doors and then having to reset that stuff up. That's really super common. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it seems like it's well more, very, very much more common than not. And people either downsizing and then having, you know, starting out too big and then having to get smaller or starting out too small and having to find a bigger space. And this landlord thing, uh, I know my friend Billy out in Farmingdale got hosed by his lease. Um, is a big one because, you know, we're all trying to like make it happen. And I don't know, unless you have an investor coming in, I don't know too many trainers that have had like some sort of like massive savings account or something that they could have the financial freedom to actually open it up on their own and on their own terms that right. directly. And I think that complicates things a whole lot. And to have you this multi-year long-term process and still, and end up where you are now is, with a successful facility is really cool to hear. And I think, for the listeners to just hang in there, but don't expect it to come quick and don't expect it to come easy. Um, we can add on to this, like uh, with a lot of my friends that are owners, don't expect it that you can actually like just work like a nine to five or a seven to six. Like this does become like a massive long job where you can't necessarily be the owner and the only trainer in that place. And one right. of the things I know you've been doing a great job is starting to groom people up to teach more. Talk, talk to us about how that's going for you. Cause I know James is one of those cats. You could text him, try it tomorrow. Text him at four 35. He'll be up in the morning, <laughs> but don't text him after like nine 15 because he'll be asleep. That's for sure. <laughs> so how have you been trying to take some of your personal life back from, you know, when you run a facility and it's, it's, you know, basically your baby taking some of your life back out of that. You know, it, it's been probably the most difficult piece of the process. Um, and, and part of it is the way that training has evolved, you know, back when I had my first gym back in 95, it was, um, it was a relatively easy process. We were all doing the same thing. We had a bunch of machines, you plug people in, you fill out the card, right? We did some, some funky new things and, and we were starting to introduce that, that, you know, now there, you've got to have a little bit more information. You know, there are no machines in our gym, 
right? You have to know how to use a TRX. You have to yeah. know how to use a kettlebell. You have to know what it means to use a sandbag and, and what that means. So, you know, over the last uh, five years, we just had our fifth anniversary in, uh, in August. Over the last five years, you know, just through training our clientele, we've sort of developed these people who are, who are badasses in their own right. Um, you know, Marissa and, uh, and Layla, two of our clients, have, have gone through the HKC with Steve and I. They've also been through uh, our DVRT cert that we held up there. So they're, they're level one instructors. All of our instructors who are there are DVRT certified. It's sort of a prerequisite for coming there. Um, but there's a process. You have to, there, there's a learning process to that. There's a lot to sort of take in. Um, and it's also, you know, finding the way to sort of trust people enough with your baby, you know, and, and for me, and I'm, I'll, I'll, I'm an admitted, you know, bit of a control freak. Um, you know, I'd like to keep everything controlled um, in sometimes a negative way, my wife will tell you, um, <laughs> is, you know, giving them the opportunity to sort of make mistakes and not jump in um, and trust that they know what they're doing. And, and now they're, you know, they do, you know, they, they know as much as I do in, in some regards. And, and in, in a lot of ways, they're bigger badasses. Um, I, you know, I've created some beasts by training them and, and it's amazing. I, you know, I have to step back every now and go, wow, you know, they, they are really doing a great job. And that's, it's been fantastic. And especially since not only are they employees, but they're also friends, right? They're family. They've, they've come through the process with me and there's something special to sort of see, you know, over the years, I've had the opportunity to sort of mentor a lot of people in the industry. Um, and to sort of see your clients sort of make that progression where, like I'm not teaching them anything anymore. They're teaching yeah. me about what's going on and the best way to approach things and, and different ways of sort of approaching programming and, and what's going to work and what's not going to work. And, and I think that's, that's the part a lot of times when you, when you open up a shop that gets missing, you know, you, you're looking for that feedback unless you're out there actively, you know, talking and, and going to education and, and connecting with other uh, coaches, you have a tendency to get sort of stuck in a box, you know, yeah. everything that happens in your facility that's all you see, right? Uh, because a lot of times you don't have the opportunity to step away from the facility. Um, so it's great to get different perspective. It's great to sort of get new blood in there and to sort of see them just flourish. It's, it's been an amazing thing. Yeah, Layla and Marissa, it, it's very cool seeing them. And, you know, I know I have a bunch of friends from uh, the Kettlebell Fitness Center in Albany, and it's sort of the same thing where the, there's members that are coming up that are so strong and so skilled and have such an understanding out of it that the, the last steps are really just the confidence of doing it, right? Being right. in front of the room and leading it and just starting to build that trust in yourself. And that's like a nerve wracking place. I think the one thing that I always try to stress at courses, and I know you and I spoke with, with Marissa and Layla a lot about this at Perform Better. We were at Perform Better and they, and they were crushing like every hands on, like it was just really cool to see is that, that, and I've talked about this several times this line between fitness professional and like really passionate enthusiast if you've got a good heart and a decent mind that line blurs pretty quickly right. um, certainly you get better with practice and with more knowledge but also sometimes it's like being able to strip away that knowledge to go at what it is so you can have a grasp on every aspect of fitness but if your facility is mostly say ultimate sandbag training and kettlebells those should be basically the two priorities in the short term at least that you're focusing on so you don't necessarily need this huge grasp of the whole world to deliver a safe and entertaining and, and excellent coaching experience, right? A class experience because we can talk all the science we want, but when the people are coming in the room, they want to know and trust that they're going to be safe and that they're going to get results. 
And if you can deliver that to them, that's not the most complicated thing in the world, especially when you're starting out. It becomes more about like having these solid baselines so that we can start to build that confidence off of ourselves. And I know that's what my first few courses were. And one of the things I've always claimed with uh, going through Josh's course for the first time was, you know, I learned certain things about movement patterns and how to lift and how to, you know, swing kettlebells. And I, I had done TRX prior to Josh's thing as well. But it was really what the DVRT system supplied was sort of like a grand lens view of how to approach all that. Right. And, you know, I, I think, I think people, again, you should always be learning a lot, but I think sometimes people get caught of like, when can I actually start? Like, when have I learned enough to actually start? Right. And usually you have a lot more than you think you do to actually start. And I don't mean going renegade, but I would much rather, I would trust somebody more that's had probably a year of ultimate sandbag training, maybe gone through an HKC or an RKC or an OSE type course um, over just telling me you just passed your NASM, right? right. Like that's exactly. not a diss on NASM, but that's no. just the reality of it. Like the hands-on aspect, the hours it takes to master those things the strength tests involved to pass something like that. Like there has right. to be an investment. And in that investment, you get better in it. You have an understanding of yourself. And I think that's transferable, right? right. Like, you know, I had to fail that clean and press test to be able to pass it. Right. What well, did Todd say to you on, on his podcast? He said, you know, he's got a master's in kinesiology, but it didn't prepare him for what you're going to see, right? Yeah, um, and it, I completely agree with that. There's like a level of smarts too. I, I just don't have, like, I, I'm not trying to use that. Like there's a level of smarts that I just don't have. But when I hear somebody like Todd who can tap into that, but generally speaking in the room, in the moment, you you shouldn't be tapping into that. It should be like, are they safe in the moment? Are they getting the job done? And how do I make this like the best experience for them? And I don't mean necessarily whether you're entertaining or you're in like a more aggressive boot campy type, you know, place, whatever that is for your place. Right. Yeah, we have a we have a a, um, a trainer with us, Margaret, who who I didn't mention before, but she's also one of these. She oh, knows yeah. everything that that needs to be knows, and she is on point. You know, I would listen to her coaching. I watch her work with the client. She's on point. She just needs that confidence and that experience to sort of get that across, and so that she can sort of fly. She's doing a great job of just building up that confidence and doing it. Um, and a lot of times, it's just about getting yourself out there. You know, the best way to learn how to coach is to coach. And you know yeah. what? You will screw up. You will fuck up. Um, sorry about that. Um, but you, it's going to. You, you can curse here. <laughs> you can curse here. It, it, it's going to happen. And, you know, so I've made more mistakes over the last 20 some odd years than I've hit right. But every time I make a mistake, I get a little bit better. Um, and you, you got to encourage them. It's like, I, you know, as long as my clients are safe, you can sort of experiment. You can, you know, do what you think is best as long as you're keeping them safe. Well, if you're working within, you know, systems that give you a systematic thing other than just exercises, it's easy to understand why you might try something, right? right. It's when we just have a pack of exercises. And I think that's where we tend to lose stuff. We just have a bunch of things we, we know how to do, but not necessarily where they fit within the puzzle all the time. But, right. you know, talking about like, uh, and Margaret, I'm, I'm really glad you brought her up because she's amazing too. But Two of the, the better coaches that I've come across were both pretty new. Um, I met uh, Eileen, who at an RKC last year in Bryn Mawr, PA, and, you know, we had a lot of, like, enthusiasts starting the training talks, and she was one of the sharpest people in that, that course, and she's going to be doing stuff with Michelle now, another fellow master instructor in DVRT land, because right. she's got this great kettlebell experience, and Michelle's starting to share the, you know, the DVRT experience. Um, but our friend Beverly... Yep. Right? Yeah, can't forget Bev. Yeah. Be Bev, we just went through um, 
the RKC with us and Sarah from Kettlebell Fitness Center. And Bev is somebody who, you know, has kind of come in like a little bit like, I don't know if I can do it. And then she comes in and she absolutely destroys it. Now, not just on the strength test kind of level, but at an RKC, there's a moment where you're coaching somebody, uh, not just the fellow candidates, but somebody comes in, like volunteers come in. And Bev and her partner, Mike, Mike Wolf is another stud that was at this course. Great guy, great coach. They were partnered up and they got done a little early. So I was just like, hey, Bev, um, he's thinking about doing level two. Why don't you show him how to do like a windmill? And I had done a course at their place um, showing him windmills and some level two type stuff. And listening to Bev coach, it was better than I could coach. Like she was like the perfect attitude, the perfect clarity of cues, the perfect understanding of what the movement was. And, you know, she's just teaching some classes right now and starting to expand on it. But it was like she's relatively new in it. But it was like when you hear somebody that can be clear and get the point across and be warm and understanding and you could tell it's listening and relatable, it was like magic to hear that. Right. Now, listen, I, I think there's, there's something special. You know a coach when you hear it, right? There are people who are sort of born coaches. Like, they can't help it. They're going to coach, right? They're, and I hate just, to say, on the flip side of that, you know when someone doesn't, and you can see them trying so hard. And sometimes that just doesn't connect. That's, like, right. a tricky one sometimes. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting thing when you see someone struggle for a long time to make a point. And that's all. I think it's almost harder to get somebody to – if you don't have that natural instinct – somewhere inside you it's harder to i think build that part up than building up exercise selection and, and programming choices right and and again it, it goes back to creating relationships something that julian touched on when you were talking to him there are people who can create relationships on the fly um you know i say i tell the story all the time the best trainer i ever hired at my other gym was a guy who i worked with as a bartender he was fantastic technically didn't have all the skills they needed we could develop that but he had the ability to talk to people and relate to people in a heartbeat and he was amazing yeah. um, and 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 again i a lot of what i do i you know take back to saying listen my time behind a bar as a waiter you know working in the restaurant business did prepare me for what we're doing now you know this is almost the same the same field you know it's a service industry yeah you know you develop you develop you're delivering a service and when you can do it with a smile and when you can do it and make people feel like they're safe with you, that they, they can trust you, that you're going to give them your best effort, you know, it's, it's easy to make that relationship. And, and the coaching becomes a lot easier then too. But when people can, you can say, yeah, you can watch them struggle to sort of do that. It, it, it is that same thing that a bartender might have of becoming like the bartender psychologist versus going to the psychologist. It's like, you're going to get somebody that's like, uh, we're dealing with, so many of people's insecurities and what they feel negative about themselves. So there's like that little bit of like open woundness and trying to actually like, I don't mean stepping on doctor toes or trying to heal it, but trying to like get people, if they start moving better and start feeling stronger, they start to feel more confident. A lot of these self doubts start to alter or go away or change into maybe less crushing versions of themselves, but we're in that. And it's, it's interesting. Like on some days it's like, you're the happy bartender, you know, who's in like the big party bar. And sometimes like you're stuck in those days where like you're in that place to just like listen to Tom waits and, and just sit at the bar and drink. And you have to be able to meet that person where they're at. Right. And, and, and still try to deliver for them. Right. As opposed to just being like, uh, you know, they're down today. So this is going right. to suck. You got to be there for them. And, and, and that is something that you can get better at, but when people are natural at it, it's kind of amazing to watch. Right. 
and, and, and not to poo-poo the technical aspects of what we do, but that part, that creating that, that relationship aspect is a huge part of what we do. You can get all the schooling in the world, but if you can't make that connection, you're never going to do it. Um, no, I said, I, and I'll, I'll throw this out there for you. And it's one of the reasons, and you people out in uh, Fury Podcast land, one of the reasons I have spent so much time uh, assisting Steve and, 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 um, and, and coaching with him is that Steve has a, an amazing gift when he teaches, and I try to learn from him every time, uh, a, a way of connecting with people in that first 10, 15 minutes of a workshop, of a cert, where you, know, you feel comfortable, you realize that this is an environment where you're safe to ask questions, you're safe to make mistakes, um, and you're going to laugh, and you're, we're all going to get a little goofy. We're going to have some, you know, some weird things happen, and that's cool. <laughs> Right. I won't tell any stories, Steve, because I've seen some of those stories. Um, I, I have farted in the middle of a goblet. <laughs> Let's just get it out there. That's what he's alluding to. That's happened. Hashtag yes. fart. <laughs> but it, it, it's 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 something special. Um, now, listen, I at our facility, Quest Fitness, we host continuing education stuff all the time. We have TRX coming in quarterly. Uh, you know, we've done the RKC. We've done DBRT there. You know, I, we travel around. I've taken the OS courses and and whatnot, but there is something special about a course where you can feel that connection. So, you know, when you watch different people present, the first thing I look for is, are people able to make that connection? Can you get people comfortable fast? You know, and that's, you know, that's sort of that bartender gift, right? Do you have a smile on your face? Are you nervous, right? Um, do you have something that I want to hear? You know, are you, are you talking to me or are you just talking, you know, are you just spouting the, uh, the, the, the manual, right? I want to yeah. see that connection. And it's a, it's a gift that you have. And for people out there, I'm sure most people have been to a workshop or, or a cert that you've taught, but if you've never been there, it, it's, it's something special. And I, I've talked to other, the other, our other master instructors for DBRT about that. Um, and that's, you know, aside from being your brother and, and loving you like, like my brother. And, you know, it's, it's something that I think that, uh, I'll always strive for to have that, that, that you have. That's a gift. Well, thank you, man. That, that means, you know, the world to me, especially coming from you, because I, I think you deliver the same, same thing. Uh, it, it, the thing that I found over, and we spoke about this at one of the, the other DVRT summits, is what you start to realize is people aren't going to remember everything you teach in a course. There's just no way they're going to absorb all of a course, right? So hopefully they have the manual. They're going to pick up on maybe like, you know, a handful of things that stick that they're going to try immediately. And then hopefully they go back to the manual and do it, or at least motivates them enough to follow up on the education. But what they will remember is the experience of the day. You right. know, who, how, what was the attitude or environment or culture formed uh, by the instructor? And I've had, you know, drill sergeant types, both men and women, different groups. I have to imagine, I hate to say it, I don't remember my TRX instructor's name. Um, it was a combination of like being super cool and then being yelled at like a drill sergeant on a TRX, which coming from my, at this time, like I lift heavy kettlebells world. is like, why are you yelling at me while on a TRX? Nothing I'm doing on this thing at this moment is actually that taxing at the moment. Like I was right. prepared for it. So I never liked that. Now, mind you, I went through the RKC somewhat in ye olden days where it was still very drill sergeant-y. You had to take your kettlebell to the bathroom. If you didn't sit in one of two positions, you had to do punishment swings with everybody and suitcase carries. If you didn't ask questions, like there's a lot of fear-based respect that 
created an interesting environment that at the time I, I enjoyed, even though I hated doing some of the punishment stuff that I don't want to be a part of anymore. So you can also get people's respect by valuing their time and money. The fact that they're away from home and away from their families and potentially work to be with you in a room for that day. The training involved to pass a DVRT clean and press test or an RKC, respecting that and letting them know that, but also that you respect their dollar investment, their education investment, and that it's also like a two-way street. So if you have, uh, I always tell people, we have evaluations of a lot of these courses, especially the Dragon Door ones. And if you write on the course, I wish they spoke more about this, but I ask questions. Does anybody have any questions a hundred times? Well, if you haven't answered the, you know, asked the question, then you can't really say, well, I wish they talked about it more. Right. Some of these things are out of the scope of the contest uh, of, of the weekend. Cause you do have to move along, but it's creating this joint accountability as well, right? That I value this. And now you have to value yourself that if you leave missing something, cause we were shy or whatever that, you know, that's a potential miss out. It's also a chance like, you know, uh, I, I am not a overly gifted trainer, but I, I know the systems I teach for very well. Right. So if you do have a question and opportunity to learn from somebody who knows these very well, take advantage of it while we're there. Um, and that has been, I think, something that's connected, which is what's very cool is like, I have a lot of people that go through OS, uh, you know, an RKC or an HKC with me and DVRT. I had some people that have gone through all of them. People that'll sign up for Strength Faction or online training with me just to sort of keep that going. And that isn't because I'm the strongest guy or the most shredded guy in any way. Um, I'm not even the most tattooed guy. I have the most Godzilla <laughs> toys. I think it's safe to say right now I have the best Godzilla collection probably in the industry. No, I would I, bet that. I could, be, I could be wrong about that too. But it is about creating this experience. And that should be in any business, right? Like people's companies spend millions of dollars trying to find out from a psychological standpoint, how do you even just put chairs in an office or chairs in a restaurant? to create a specific type of experience. We have to do that because if we create a shitty experience, whether it's in a class, in a session, at a workshop, who wants to come back to that, right? And as a, an employee working for someone like that, who wants to come back and hear that every day? And as me training, why do I want to be bitter or something or like angry every day? And my nickname's Fury. Like it's, it's <laughs> so it, it's, it's all part of that. So thank you for that. But I think that's just all I try to do is like, let's like value each other's time here together and try to get the most out of it that we can within the confines of a schedule and, and you know, the clock. And, you know, you and I have both gone, I think, grown up a bit through this where uh, what most people might not realize is so I taught the first DVRT level one cert that wasn't taught by Hank and ever. And, right. and James assisted me on that one. And quite frankly, folks, we were both crapping our pants, like <laughs> almost literally. Like, how do, you, how do you present this that's been Josh's thing for like 10 years at the time, right? You can't. You, you, you can't be Josh and do the same right. thing. So you present his material as truthfully as you can, but through your filter – so there's a common response. Like you're not going to have a totally different experience with James in terms of the content, but the delivery might be a little different, but the content will be similar. And I think, you know, I've, I've battled over the years of like sticking too much to here's the manual, the live show, because I want to represent this material as, as specifically as I can. And then realizing like, well, things get lost when we do that. Like you're only going to remember X amount of drills on something. And I think that goes for almost any business. Like, Sure. The devil's in the details, but you can't expect somebody in a limited window of time 
to take note of all the details, especially in a physical environment where we're learning and lifting because your central nervous system is just overwhelmed. You walk into a room and there's anywhere from five to 20 people. You may know one, or you may have heard somebody's name or Facebook friended somebody. You're meeting them for the first time. What's this going to be like? What's this teacher going to be like? What's this class going to be like? Man, like I really wanted to go to the movie today. Thor Ragnarok just came out, but I'm here anyway because I already bought this thing. Like, what are we going to do? And then you have to learn, right? Where's the bathroom? I got a nervous belly. I got to pee again. Did I pack enough snacks? Let's see. All these thoughts are also going to be coming in. And then you got to learn and lift right? And then you're learning and lifting around your peers. So you want to look good. You don't want to be the person that's not moving well on that. Right. Self-imposed pressure, right? And it's a lot. And I think we have to take that whenever we go into something, teaching a workshop. But we also have to remember that's a a version of that is what everyone feels when they come in and take a class or or a, a training session. So one of the things that I've always tried to do, and certainly with working at MFF, is to Uh, take down any false wall about me and how I speak. So guys, you've heard me on this podcast now, hopefully a bunch, unless you're new to it because you're a Newman fan, which you should be. Um, There's really very little difference between how I speak on this podcast, how I speak in a course, how I speak in a class, and how I speak just hanging out. Uh, I probably talk dirtier and the language steps up. My sense of humor is pretty gross. Um, (laughs) <laughs> never have I, never have I never ever, have gets, ever right? gets, gets carried away, but there's no like cert version of me. There's no class version of me. It's just, this is who I am. And I think sometimes when we're trying to set up to teach courses, we get caught up in becoming, I'm the guy who's supposed to lead the room now. Right. right? And I, I just think, think you can be your, if you can't be yourself and lead a room, you shouldn't be leading the room. If you have to put on an act, you got to really rethink that. And that might just be building up confidence over time. But if you feel you have to put on some sort of like, I don't know, imposing figure mode to do it, if it's your natural, if you're a natural imposing figure mode, that's very different, by the way. Um, it's authentic to you. What I think is like, if it's inauthentic to you, reconsider it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Also, too, I think that part of this is too, you know, when you go to these things, it's, it's your first step. Right. You're not trying, you're trying to introduce a world to somebody. I don't expect somebody to walk out of a cert or a workshop and have mastered anything. Right. People get too hung up on that weekend or that snatch test or the clean and press test where you're not looking at the experience. Right. You get stuck on a few exercises or, or one or two things that maybe you don't do well. And you're trying to tell people, hey, listen, this is just the start of your journey. You know, like if we yeah. have someone come into to, to Quest and, you know, they may walk into a class where, you know, they're not ready or they're feeling a little overwhelmed. We say, listen, this is just the start. You're going to start here. We're going to get you to where you need to be. But this is just the beginning of the journey. It's not, it's not about the workout. It's about the destination, right? Uh, absolutely. You, you don't get a black belt in like a one-day or a three-day course. Exactly. You, you just get a really good education experience out of it. Right. Awesome. Hey, let's, let's switch gears for a moment. So since we're both, you know, we, we've been talking about DVRT a lot. What, what was your first introduction to DVRT, Ultimate Sandbag Training? Uh, you know, it was, it's funny. I, you know, you'll laugh at this. I, I had started to dabble with uh, kettlebells, right? And I went and took some cheesy, like, um, JCC kettlebell cert that came around. Some guy came around. He took us through a couple of exercises and tried to show us different stuff, you know, no CECs or anything like that, but just a little exposure to it. It was a, it was an interesting experience and it was also a horrible experience because I ended up, you know, my, my forearm was bruised for days afterwards. People were falling over bells were dropping on the floor. Um, 
it gave me a little bit of uh, knowledge and, and sometimes a little knowledge is a dangerous thing because I then took that knowledge to my clients um, and the response I got from them was a little on the negative side, right? It, it didn't work for them. I was working with some older folks and I was trying to sort of teach them what I had learned um, and start to incorporate it and it just wasn't working. Um, so, I, you know, I was looking around for alternatives. So, you know, I, I, I sort of knew I needed to sort of do something other than what I had been doing, which is the, the traditional, you know, dumbbell stuff. Um, we were working with TRXs, but, you know, there's that strength training aspect that you need to sort of get in there. Um, and I just sort of stumbled on the sandbag and I started doing some research and, you know, I watched Josh on YouTube and listen, you know, not just watch and pick up exercises, but listen to what he was saying. And what he was saying was starting to open up a lot of ideas, a lot of different ways to move and different ways to think, uh, more importantly. Um, and one of the first things we did when we opened up the original quest was I called Josh up and I said, Hey, would you do me a favor? Would you come out here and would you hold the shirt for us here? And he did. I mean, it was one of those things like, here's a guy I've been watching. I was it's so intimidated to, to call him and, and talk to him and sort of see if we can get, and he came and I know when he, you know, he pulled into the, uh, the parking lot, I was, I was sort of, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, sort of starstruck, like, wow, Josh Hankins here. Um, and it was a, it was a game changing experience that weekend, sort of just like it blew my mind. Um, and not only did it blow my mind, it overwhelmed me to such a degree. Like it, it was so much information. It was so much to sort of take in that I was like, I, I had to learn more, you know? So when, we started delving deeper and deeper into the system. I was, uh, you know, I was just fascinated with where it would go and how effective it was, how powerful it was. Um, and then when he invited me to come be a, a, a master instructor, I was, I was blown away. Um, blown away because it gave me the opportunity to then go assist at every cert and workshop that he did. And I made it a point to go for the next two or three years, I think it's still, right, six years now, that if he's on the East Coast, if he's within driving distance of me, and even for yourself, right, if Steve's teaching a course and he's within driving distance and I'm free, I'll make it a point to be there um, so that I can get further into the system, right? Um, it, I'll be honest, it took me, you know, a good year and a half, almost two years to totally wrap my head around the system, Um and I'm still doing it. I think yeah. the, the cool part about DVRT and, you know, you and I have talked about this is that it's constantly evolving, right? I'm sure what you went through when it was lift, what I went through, when I went through it, it was actually called synergy. Yeah. Um, it has changed completely from that, right? It has just grown and evolved. Um, you know, restoration now is sort of, you know, it's the, the outreach of what happened from there. We went through Mitch's program, Mitch Hallshelt's program. Um, when he came out for the Master Instructor Summit. And you can just see this sort of organically growing as more people start putting their ideas and their thoughts into the system. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and I like that in that so many systems that we get involved with today, sort of like, all right, you know this, you know that, and then you're basically done. And then how do you sort of change the pieces around? Well, this one keeps giving back. Every time I go yeah. to grab that sandbag, there's something new for me to learn. I mean, we, I'm sure you watch Larissa a uh, lot. She just, she comes up with movements and patterns that just blow my mind on a daily basis. Um, so there's a lot of really exciting stuff that's, that continues to happen. Uh, and I don't think we've tapped it out yet.
Yeah, yeah, I'd say we're actually in sort of like an amazing, it's been continuing to grow, but with the, I think there's been this evolution of what the correctives program into resilience, into what restoration right now is, where I just right. think PRT is really in this like magical spot right now where you can cover so much ground. And I had just taught, uh, sort of kicked off the new workshop format, which is only $100 for a five-hour uh, workshop, maybe four-hour workshop. And uh, it's, it's, it covers a little bit of all of these steps now. And uh, the information that it provides that you can fairly easily make applicable now right. uh, is kind of amazing. For those that aren't familiar with the program, Josh Hankin created it. Um, and certainly at this point, his wife, Jessica Bento, has added to it as, as you know, uh, everything has progressed. And it's, you know, we focus on moving and we focus on moving in all planes of motion as opposed to just sagittal plane. And we look at things other than just adding weight to a bar or going heavier. We look at how we hold things, how we stand, what our body position is, what the holding position is, and really try to find a way to make people stronger, both more stable and stronger without just getting stuck basically powerlifting and I think we're bodybuilding and I think a lot of training falls into that to some degree and I know in kettlebell land even you know I'm saying this is an RKC a lot of us just get caught up on like I can do this now with this bell and now I want to be able to do it with this size bell we just get heavier on the bell or you know I, I can do it eight times now instead of seven times which to some degree is valid but we should have like a bigger picture of why we're doing certain things right um so if anybody's like ever been interested in it dvrt is like really provided me the lens to coach in a way that i didn't have and you know when when james mentions this intimidation factor of josh like i remember so my one of my mentors early on and still to this day is gavin van black he's one of the first dvrt master instructors and at the time in new york city in brooklyn if you asked anybody how'd you find out about ultimate sandbags they'd say gavin like it was just very he, he he was just one of those guys, and he saw that I love kettlebells. He handed me an ultimate sandbag. He showed me a few things. I literally went home and looked on the computer. Who created this? What's information about it? Oh, it's Josh Hankin. Oh, he's going to be here in October. Oh, that's a month away from the, after the RKC. I'll sign up for that. And Josh is, like, amazingly approachable. Right. Like, and most of the greats, the, the people that I hold with high esteem, are incredibly approachable, whether it's, you know, Josh or Brett Jones or John Angam. Um, you know, these cats, you can just walk up and talk to, you know, like be respectful, don't be a jerk about it, but like not only talk to, but like they'll help you out, right? Like right. It, it kind of has always blown my mind. And I think that's a surprise to us a lot. But if you're into something, you know, it's always great to have a buddy that does it, but try to reach out to someone that's teaching it. And the, the flip side of this is like, you know, James mentioned assisting and, and, and I gave a, a bit of a talk about this at one of our summits is the only way I'm here doing what I do right now is because I actually believe in the systems and I assisted a lot right. um, where not only did I get to dial in my own technique and learn a million more cues than you might learn in one weekend, but I also got to see the delivery styles over one day, two days, three days of like the best in the business, in my opinion, in terms of kettlebells, whether right. it's the RKC or, or strong first, um, depending on where the timing fell with the split with working with Josh and, and the crew there, you know, the, he had a, a different sort of core crew at the beginning when I went through um, and certainly with original strength and you pick up what you found effective 
and what you related to and what you saw sort of change the room dynamic in a positive way. And hopefully you get to emulate that. I'm not going to lie that anytime I make like a naked gun reference or an airplane reference, like it's a nod to Brett Jones. And it's one of those things that I loved about him because aside from being this amazing coach and the super smart guy, it was like, oh, dude, he likes airplane movies. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> um, and, and I think if you're thinking about teaching workshops for a system one day, like assist as much as you can. And yes, I, James and I uh, have both done this where like we've traveled to assist. We've spent a lot of money. I know like I have spent a lot of money early on to assist and now it's paying off for me. Now, will it always pay off for you? I don't know. I don't know if that means you're going to teach workshops or not, but it'll probably make you better in your sessions. And if you're better in your sessions, people probably stay on longer, right? So client retention might go up, right? That draw referral might go up, but it is something that I think is a worthy investment until it's not. I also think at some point, you know, and James and I have had these conversations about certain things where it's like, maybe this is the one I need to stay home with my kids versus, right. you know, going to another course. Um, DVRT doesn't hit the, the, the city as much that that's usually a problem. But I know I struggle with certain dates in October because it's my kid's birthday or my, you know, or in March because my daughter's birthday. But I think assisting is a great way to do it. But I think, and I probably got caught in this too, don't do it to have the ego of like, I'm an assistant. So I go there to continue learning. It's an extension of the learning process. It's a further right. sharpening of the blade every time you go, uh, especially with something that's relatively as complex as, um, as DVRT can be. Because it's complex until you really crack the code and you're like, oh, this all makes total sense. And then it right. simplifies itself. It's like a, a positive version of the Hellraiser cube, right? Like <laughs> suddenly it opens up all this good stuff and not pinhead, although a lot of us happen to be bald too. Just no nails in the head. Um, all right. Well, we're coming up close to the end of this thing. And, and man, it's just, I, I got to sort of figure out how to process this differently so we don't get on to the nerdy stuff always at the end of this. But, uh, you know, a big movie will have opened up at the time of this recording last weekend. And that was Thor Ragnarok, which, uh, spoilers potentially, folks. So if you haven't seen it, um, you've already had a two-week window, so you can either stop now or you probably don't care. Um, but, dude, what'd you think of Thor? I loved it. You know, of course, anytime I get to see the Hulk and Thor on screen, I'm going to get psyched. I, I joke with my son all the time that he is so spoiled because when I grew up, when I was his age, what we saw for comic book movies was so horrific that it didn't represent what we had been seeing in the comic books all those years. These stories, these characters that we had sort of built up, right? They just weren't represented back when I was 12 and when I was going to those movies, they just weren't coming across. But now, with the advancement of CGI and what we can see, the way they put together the Hulk in particular, um, it's just amazing. I mean, I, I can't go to that movie and not be completely pumped and just overwhelmed every time. And I, I make sure I, I drag my son out of school every time a Marvel movie <laughs> comes up. I say, let's go, we're going, right? I, I'll cut off a of work early, get him out of school, and we go and we watch it. Um, and it's become a real bonding moment. He loves it. I love it. I thought the movie was great. I did have some issues with it. I thought it, it went into being a little campy, which is okay. Uh, you know, they did manage to pull it together at the end, but I had some issues with that. I, I, when they go campy, I think back to like the old Batman, the Burt Ward uh, and, you know, Adam West Batman. And when people say, oh, that's Batman for you, I was like, that's not Batman. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I would see, I've, I've loved it for that reason, but I don't think I was expecting it to that degree. So if anybody's interested in a great movie, the director um, did a movie called What We Do in the Shadows, Shadows awesome which, movie. which is, yeah. is on Amazon Prime right now, if you have it. And it's like a, a mockumentary about vampires, uh, I believe in New Zealand. And it's a great, great, ridiculously funny movie. It's got uh, Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords, right? So that movie will set up the comic sensibility that's come out in Thor Ragnarok. So it's almost like you have this, like, you know, multi, multi, multi million dollar blockbuster with this Flight of the Concords comedic sensibility, which for me really works. Now, the only thing that I found maybe didn't work is I did think it lessened the emotional depth of the story, because it is super campy and silly at a lot of the times, but right. that really didn't take away anything from, from my experience in it. And I do have to remind myself that I'm looking at these as a middle-aged adult and right. that my kids like loved all the jokes. You know what I mean? Like there's that part. It's like, you have to look back at Jar Jar Binks. Um, I, I hated Jar Jar Binks, but there's a lot of kids that love that guy. Um, Mind you, we didn't go into Jar Jar Binks terribly in this one. That's a horrible example, no, no, yeah, actually. Push it, uh, yeah. it, but it's like super, super funny. And and it's funny when James mentioned like you know the, the what we had back in the day. Like we had like our Captain America had a, sh- a shitty motorcycle helmet on, drove around on a motorcycle. It was like TV movies. Right now, if you want to get a sense of what that is, Marvel's Inhumans, uh, the already failed TV show was sadly kind of close to as bad as it was. Like that was even better than what we used to have in terms of like um, Peter Parker, Spider-Man back in the day. Those oh TV my God. Yeah. And those Captain America ones, but we had no other choice. So I was always stoked when that guy showed up. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, we're going to wrap this one up. James, tell the folks where they can find you and any final parting comments. Uh, you can find me. You can always write me at james at questguilford.com. Uh, find me on Facebook, James Newman. Um, and if you're ever in Guilford, Connecticut, just outside of New Haven, please, please stop by. Come visit me at Quest Fitness um, right in Guilford, Connecticut. All right, please stop by. Um, in, in closing, I, listen, I just want to thank you again um, for, for being the friend that you are, for doing this, doing what you do. You do it so well. Um, it's an honor to, to be your friend and to be someone that, uh, that you call when you need help. When there's, when there's time for a fury rant, I'm always there for you, sir. Right. Just so you folks know, every now and then I'll get this text that comes by fury rant and I have to like prepare myself because here comes Steve, both barrels ready to sort of spout for about a half hour. And I'm always honored to be able to do it, uh, to, to listen to him and be a sounding board for him. Well, thank you, man. Uh, again, I didn't mention this, but James is is one of the wedding party crew that was in here, man. I, I, I love you for being my friend and for being that soundboard and um, talking me off of many a ledge, um, but also validating sometimes when I, when I, when I am on, on point on something. And uh, just for being there and, and all the times that you do come out, folks, like sometimes I actually tell James, like, maybe don't assist. Like, you can actually hang with your family. Like, sometimes he actually feels guilty about, like, I don't know if I can make it. I'm like, Maybe you should hang. Um, but it's that drive that he has to get better that's really inspiring. Um, and, you know, when you're running your own business like that, it's hard to get out to assisting and, and get away for two full days. And then you basically have to go right back into the full grind. And, and that's just sort of part of what we do for better or worse. So uh, I, I, I just love and respect you with all my heart, man. Um, I'm really glad you're the 10th episode. And can you tell the folks to die mighty? 
please, please, die mighty. Awesome. It's, uh, it's something we strive for. Us old guys, we got to stick together. We got to die mighty. <laughs> um, everybody, thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the podcast, please visit, visit patreon.com slash Coach Fury Podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Coach Fury Podcast. Uh, and you can donate a little bit of money to the podcast. Um, a little bit will go a long way on that. And please uh, rate and review it because apparently that holds some weight in terms of getting on search engines and all that type of glorious stuff. As always, I want to thank the FTW for the metal music at the beginning and the end and Glenn Urieta for these amazing Godzilla kaiju sketches that keep coming up. He keeps up up in the ante on him every time. Um, I super appreciate that. Visit CoachFury.com for anything else you might want to hit me up about. And uh, again, check out BitingBackNYC.com. And finally, We've been talking about DVRT, and our leadership team has a bunch of programs coming out, a bunch of these workshops, uh, low-cost, entry-level ways to get in there. So I know we have them coming up in Glendale, California, in Seattle, and in Wisconsin. So visit UltimateSandbagTraining.com if you want to check out that stuff. Um, Very cool, very easy entryway. You do not have a strength test for this workshop. It's just a really great way to get your hands on Ultimate Sandbags and start to grasp the system. Uh, Everybody, that is enough talking about things we have available. Uh, Until next week, episode 11. That sounds crazy to say. Have a great week, everybody. Bye. Take care. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by yours truly, Steve, Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by the FTW. Visit the FTW.NYC.com for band, album, tour, and merchandise information. And the artwork is created by Glenn Urieta. Visit GlennUrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or on Instagram, at Glenn Urieta. Thanks, everyone.